electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. Live from the NASDAQ market site overlooking New York City's Times Square, this is Fast Money. I'm Melissa Lee. Tonight's trader lineup, Tim Seymour, Steve Grosso, James McDonald, and Guy Adami. Tonight on Fast, lights, camera, rally. AMC shares going wild again today, but what we saw in the options market today is nothing short of incredible. Mike Coe says he has never seen anything like it. He'll break down the blockbuster activity. Plus, we're watching shares of FireEye in the after hours. Uh, the cybersecurity company just announcing a $1.2 billion deal to sell its products business, including the FireEye name. You'll hear from the FireEye CEO, Kevin Mandian, in just moments. And later, James is taking the mound to pitch his next best idea why he thinks this consumer stock is ready to deliver some beautiful returns. We'll bring you that name. We start off with America under a hack. The latest victim, the Steamship Authority of Massachusetts, the service of ferries people to Martha's Vineyard, Cape Cod, and Nantucket, saying this morning it was targeted in a ransomware attack. It comes just hours after we learned the Russia-linked hacker group, Revil, was behind the attack that shut down JBS, the world's largest meatpacking company. And just weeks after an attack on the Colonial Pipeline crippled fuel delivery all along the eastern United States. So our food supply our energy supply, and a transportation network have all been hit within a matter of weeks. So what is going on here and what is being done to stop this next big hack? Let's kick things off tonight with Eamon Javers with the very latest. Eamon. Yeah, Melissa, look, this is a a wave of hacks across, you know, if you think about it, it's food, it's fuel, it's all of the things that we need to live and build our society. And it's all coming, a lot of it anyway, uh, from Russia. The key question in all of this is what, to what extent we see Vladimir Putin involved in any of these transactions. Is he just sort of tacitly approving this and allowing these criminal hacking gangs in Russia to do their thing? Or is he orchestrating this in some way uh, as a show of strength against the United States? There's some dispute on that uh, in the intelligence and cybersecurity communities. But the consensus seems to be uh, that he's just tolerating this criminal activity because it's, you know, my enemy, the enemy of my enemy is my friend kind of a thing. And as long as they're messing with the West and not messing with Russia, that's fine with him. The latest that we know from a union official in terms of that meat hack uh, at RBS is that, in fact, uh, they were able to get most of the plant activity up and running today. So uh, they said they would be up and running. That seems to have been the case today. We'll wait for more details from the federal government on exactly how much production happened today. Uh, But that seems to be like uh, something that is we're moving past at this point. So clearly, Melissa, there's there's a lot here to think about. Just about every industry is vulnerable to this, though. What is interesting, Eamon, is is when you think about these were disparate attacks, and yet if they happened in concert, it would have a completely different effect. Do you think officials are thinking about it in those terms? Because if you had a simultaneous attack on food supply, on transportation, and on energy supply, it seems like it would get a lot more attention than these disparate separate attacks. Yeah, I guarantee you people, you know, in high positions of power in Washington are thinking about the strategic implications of this, right? Remember, these are ransomware attacks. So in the case of the Colonial Pipeline, they said, you know, we're taking down your pipeline, but if you give us a couple million bucks, we'll give you the digital key to unlock it. 
Well, what if there was an attack where they didn't give you the digital key back? Right. How long would it take uh, to unlock that system? That could be a real problem for the United States. Then you do that times all of the energy grid, all of the food supply, all of the transportation networks that we rely on in this country. They're gathering a lot of intelligence about how to do that with these ransomware hacks that could be useful from a st strategic perspective as well. I mean, it sounds like the ransomware aspect of it could just be cover for a government essentially to stage an attack on the United States that could be considered um, by some as an, uh, an act of war, I mean, under certain circumstances. Absolutely. There's no question about it. And that is one of the schools of thought in Washington right now is that right. this is being used as sort of a proof of concept of how you would do that. And you can test little bits and pieces of it as you go along under the cover of this criminal activity. Uh, but officially, what the U.S. government says is that they don't believe that the Putin government has a hand in this. And they, they believe that this is Putin simply tolerating criminal activity. Now, presumably, there's some corruption involved here as well. And those criminals are kicking back to all sorts of officials, potentially some of the officials uh, inside the Putin government as well. But it's creating an enormous amount of activity in Russia. And then there's consequent cyber activity here in the United States in terms of the business of cybersecurity itself. And we had a big piece of news on that as well, Melissa, today, uh, with FireEye announcing that it's going to sell a big piece of its business. Uh, this is an interesting one. FireEye is probably the most famous cybersecurity company. Uh, they say they are selling a $1.2 billion piece of the company that's a, its products business and its name. It's an all-cash sale to Symphony Technology Group. It's expected to close uh, in the fourth quarter. The remaining company is going to be known as Mandiant. And I talked to Kevin Mandia, the CEO of the company, just a short time ago, and I asked him why he's selling and why now. The answer seems to be he wants to unlock some of the high-growth pieces of this company. Take a listen. FireEye Products was over $500 million in revenues. Mandiant Solutions was over $400 million in revenues. Uh, but one of them, you know, in each earnings call, we kind of showed that our emerging solutions, primarily under Mandiant, were going a little faster and were becoming the majority of our bookings, the majority of our billings, because that's what we report on, and the majority of our growth. Now, Kevin Mandia and FireEye were the company uh, that spotted the initial solar winds hack. So they've got a lot of press over the past uh, six months or so. Uh, they're prominent in Washington in terms of their political thinking as, a, as sort of a thought leader on that. And so I asked Mandia where all this is going, because we're seeing this just wave, as we've been talking about, of hacking attacks aimed at every single sector. And what's the ultimate solution to it? Here's what he said. Right now, there is a nation that is allowing folks to hack United States companies from 10,000 miles away with impunity. There's no risk or repercussions. We're all playing goalie right now, and the puck's flying at us from every single direction. So something does have to get done. So, Melissa, what Mandy is saying here is that ultimately this puts a lot of pressure on this upcoming Putin-Biden summit in Geneva in two weeks. That's where they're going to have to sit down eyeball to eyeball and iron some rules of the road out here in terms of what's acceptable and what's not in espionage. Stealing information back and forth between countries has been acceptable over the years. You know, no one likes it, but it happens. Crippling industries, though, has not been. Is there a way for Biden to get that back on track? We'll find out in Geneva in just a short time. All right, Eamon, thank you. Eamon Javers, there are so many ways to trade this. So you have that deal that was announced at 4 o'clock this afternoon, which is interesting because FireEye originally bought Mandiant and now 
basically Mandiant is becoming Mandiant and selling the fire eye piece of the business. But then you also have the direct impact on the industries, such as the meatpacking industry, energy and transportation. Grasso, where would you go on the trade? Beyond me. That was the one that was up today. So if you think about what's the, what should be the strongest thing, go with what worked today. Why have the cybersecurity stocks not worked in six months? They all rallied and they can't rally again. Why? I, I, thought, you were, I thought it was a rhetorical question. It, 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 was, go, it was going I, to be. I, I was wondering, I, is it rhetorical or is he asking me? Because I well, don't know. I, I'm just the well, host you, here. It was rhetorical to <laughs> you. I thought, I thought Tim was going to jump. And if Tim jumped at it, I was going to let him answer it. Well, but, I'll, I'll, I'll help you. Uh, and I, I, don't, I don't know if I have the answer other than, you know, I like CrowdStrike. I like the fact that their last numbers, they showed us uh, about 74.5% ARR growth or 81.5% revenue growth that they've got a pipeline, they've got a backlog. Um, I hate the fact that it trades at 35 times EV to rev on 23. Um, and, and again, CrowdStrike with, you know, a, north of a billion in revenues at a time when if you look at the enterprise, there are those that think we're flying kind of as blind as we did in the 90s, the late 90s and 2000s with people out using any virus software and whatnot. So on the enterprise side, I think these stocks are expensive. I think these stocks are going higher. You're absolutely right. It's been six but, but months as you, of as dead you money. Said, as you said, uh, on revenues, a billion dollars in revenues mm-hmm. and $50 billion in market cap. And it was at $242 in February. It's at 220. And meanwhile, we've had solar winds. We've had Colonial Pipeline. We've had, you know, I mean, look at the events that we've had, Mm -hmm. um, and and they really have done nothing. So, Guy, I'll go to you because you've been an advocate of a lot of these cybersecurity stocks. Why do you think when business seems like it would be so good for this group, they've been going nowhere? Yeah, well, Steve knew the answer, and Tim answered the question. It's valuation. I mean, and Dan Nathan has talked about this, and that's clearly what's going on. I mean, they're high valuation stocks on just about any metric you want to look at, and I totally get it. And Steve's right. I mean, in mid-April, they topped out, sold off all of them back, all of them, when I say all of them, Palo Alto, Zscale, or right back to those April highs and seemingly are failing. But I think there's a much bigger picture here, and Amy just laid it out. And, you know, I don't want, it's not, I don't want to get political, but, you know, stalling out the boats to Nantucket is nice and quaint, and I'm sure BK is a little upset about it. But, you know, think about what would happen if it went after sort of the banking system or our exchanges and those types of things. So this to me, and you addressed it with Eamon, this is, these are just test balloons, in my opinion, uh, for much bigger things down the road. And I do think, although these stocks are expensive and not go- caught up to the broader market, I think you want to be in them. And I'll say again, Obviously, FireEye is going to be a different company, um, but Zscaler, despite how expensive it is, makes sense. So does Palo Alto Networks. And by the way, either scenario, if, if a criminal group were responsible for all these attacks or the Russian government, either is not good. It's either a country, a nation state going after some of our basic infrastructure, or it's a criminal group which could be selling whatever tools they use to another nation state or another criminal group out there. Um, James, I want to get you in the conversation. Where would you go on the trade here? I go with McAfee. Uh, I like the trajectory of this stock. It's got a small dividend to play. Uh, and this is a name with a lot of experience on the consumer side. Uh, PCs are going to need to be protected. We've, throughout our history of this young democracy of a couple hundred years, taken for granted security. And it's come as a threat in many forms. And in this current digital age, uh, I think there's a lot of risk on mobile phones. I think there's a lot of risk on PCs. Uh, and that risk translates to stock market opportunities through McAfee as a stock holding. Obviously, the broader conversation about uh, the risk to industry and disruption to government or uh, even a national security threat, that's a real, that's a real problem. But uh, from a stock play, I like McAfee. I think uh, we're up about uh, 50 percent 
this year to date uh, compared to those other names. And as people become more conscious of, of risk on their end, I think the stock's going to be a benefit. Yeah, we're going down the road all the way to the end of the road in terms of what what these hacks could result in. But let's just, if we pull it back, I mean, we're at a, at a state where um, raw materials are in short supply, that there are chip shortages right now. And if we had one of these attacks, that could really that could really throw a wrinkle into this recovery. Well, again, if, if we go to the JBS dynamic, we, we know what it's meant to already tight meat supplies. This mm-hmm. is 25 percent of beef. This is 20 percent of pork. You know, Publix, you're not getting your rotisserie chicken guy. Um, it's not happening. And, and, you know, just quickly back to the Russia dynamic. And as you said, whether this is a, uh, an enemy state, whether this is actually an you know, independent group, you know, someone that lived in Russia uh, and has seen this over and over again, you, you get a dynamic where um, chaos is created and the Kremlin isn't necessarily endorsing it. it it's, but but it, it's certainly not putting an end to it. And it's certainly also, on some sense, it's a force that believes they are loyal to the Kremlin and whether the, the Kremlin has asked for them to do this or not. And we see this in, in different factions. I'll, I'll save this for another political show. But, but the point here is um, I don't think this is going to end. And currying political favor by acting in a way that might be uh, to the benefit in Russia is something that happens in in many different sectors. And we see this over and over. We're talking about inflation, Guy. Yesterday we were talking about inflation just just by because of, of tight supply in general. What happened to oil during the colonial pipeline hack? What has happened to the price of beef at the supermarket? Right, exactly. Up. So what happens here? I mean, if, if a criminal group really wanted to wreak havoc on the economy and the recovery and then in turn on the stock market, this could be the ticket. Of course. I mean, it makes perfect sense. How do you, how do you want to devastate an economy, do things like this without question? Especially, and, and again, we talk about it all the time. New Fed chairmen or chair people are going to be tested by the market. Guess what? New presidents are going to be tested by market and other forces as well. And I think that's where we're in the midst of now. And you're right. And oh, by the way, all these companies that are going to have to invest or reinvest in cybersecurity, they have to spend that money. Guess who's going to get the, that gets passed through to who? The consumer. So you're 100 percent right. I mean, and we can have the inflation conversation all day long. And Mohammed Awarian was on the network earlier today with voicing concerns, same concerns a lot of other people have voiced. Again, I, I don't think it's going away anytime soon. And Tim made the point. I think this gets worse before it gets better. I think the bigger issue is what happens if you go online to your bank and your money's not there? That's the bigger issue. It's not, it's not about meat prices for me. It's about where's my money, everything's online, and all of a sudden it says zero. What do you do? Who's going to back that up? So, you, so yes, there is FDIC, but what are you really insured for? That's the bigger crisis for me. Well, you're insured for $250,000. Per account. Per account, yeah. Right? So there's a lot more money in the system than $250,000, right? So there's a lot of people, if, if you don't save your paper statements, and this is something that happened the last time the grid went out, uh, my banker said, save your paper statements. So not to get too anecdotal, but what are you supposed to do? Right. I mean, the possibilities really are endless. The, we've seen in New York City a blackout in the past. Yep. We've seen it just by equipment failures. Nothing 
evil. I was going to say, I mean, the, 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 the electricity the grid has enough enough flaws on its own. Right. Um, but but it, it, again, when you look at any cyber security matrix and you can look at it almost as if it is bridges into a city, you can see essentially the ports in which there's actually weakness and vulnerabilities. And if we can see it, you know, they can see it. I mean, the sophistication of these attacks, this one wasn't, as we said, this is ransomware. Um, but but if you even you know, if you think about the solar winds attack, very, very sophisticated on our government. Yeah. Coming up, oil pumping higher, crude hitting its highest level since 2018, and that fueled a 7% gain for one oil ETF that we just talked about yesterday. We'll drill down on that trade just ahead. Plus, AMC nearly doubling as a meme stock keeps cranking higher, but we'll tell you what we saw in the options pit today. That could be one for the record book. Stick around. We've got all that and much more when Fast Money returns. The spirit of performance defines Acura, and now it's electric. Introducing the all-electric ZDX, Acura's most powerful SUV yet. While what powers their cars may change, the energy that makes Acura never will. Crafted using the same formula that brought them electrified supercars and multiple IMSA championships, the ZDX has track-tested performance that packs an energy all its own. With a premium Bang & Olufsen sound system and up to 313-mile range on a single charge, and a Type S variant with an estimated 500 horsepower, the ZDX is everything they said electric could never be. It was built with the driver in mind, just like Acura has been doing since the beginning. We could talk all day, but the only way to experience this electric performance is to drive it yourself. Unlock the energy and order yours at Acura.com. Welcome back to Fast Money. Check out the move in the oil market today. The oil services ETF OIH soaring more than 7% to its highest level in over a year. The move comes as crude prices hit their highest level since 2018. Guy, we just talked about this yesterday. Tom Lee of Fundstrat, Diamond Hands Lee, said this is the one you want to hodl. Yeah, no doubt about it. And listen, Tim's been talking about this for quite some time. And he, he wasn't early and wrong. He was early and right. And We've also talked about wanting to be in the levered energy names, and we can rattle off the stocks. I mean, Halliburton's probably going to trade back to that January of 2020 high. I think that's 39. Uh, Schlumberger, excuse me. Halliburton, by the way, is actually almost through the levels we saw in January 2020. And then the levered names, like a PSX, I mean, it closed above $90, and that's off to the races as well. And I don't think this is ending anytime soon either. So we agreed with Tom Lee yesterday. I think we agree with him a few weeks back. And again, Tim has been pointing this out for quite some time. James, you know, the question I saw on Twitter a lot today was, OAH, big move, is it too late to get in, which would imply that it's seen its move. What do you think? I think demand's going to continue to uh, go back up. And, you know, obviously we just eclipsed the March levels. There's been a lot of volatility in this space. And, you know, our traders were here uh, last February, March, looking at uh, USO plummet to unthinkable levels, oil futures trading in Contango, almost negative at some point. Uh, this is a recovery play. I think the demand curve uh, would imply that this continues. And uh, obviously, this is something we're never going to not need. Clearly, these ETFs provide easy access to retail investors, and people are going to be looking for a bull market after the bull market, throughout the bull market, transitioning into a bear market. And so I think this continues. 
Yeah, the ETF is a way to play it for sure. And, and certainly thematically, that's why people go after ETFs. I, to me, Schlumberger, which I don't need to recreate an idea. I mean, this is the biggest oil field, oil field services company, uh, the technology leader with reservoir characterization and dynamics that I think make them also an efficient player. I, I think the structural decline in their profitability and, and the downgrade cycle of the analyst community is still what, 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 what is, is badly lagging. And, and I actually think that they're so far behind on this name that I actually think there's an upgrade cycle coming. And I, I think why not be in the best of breed name in the sector that's got a good balance sheet? You know, it wasn't too long ago, ago Grasso, when we were talking about oil stocks being very under-owned. People shunned oil stocks. Coverage on Wall Street um, really went to historic lows, probably, with analysts dropping coverage of entire sectors just because of lack of interest, because the weighting on the S&P was so small. It's still small, but it's only, growing at this point. It's catching more attention. Not only is it still small, but you had ESG. ESG investing was hanging over the entire space. It did nothing for five years. Now, to Tim's point, Saint-Berger is definitely best in breed. It's up over 60% year-to-date. It's 20% of the OIH. OIH is up 43, 45% year-to-date. It's a way of hedging your risk. In what way? You don't have to attach yourself to one name. Uh, so you uh, get a basket of stocks. You don't have to worry about just buying a, a SLB and being attached to just in case people say SLB is overvalued. OIH is ne- never going to be overvalued in the next year or so. But the comment just about, yeah. about missing this trade, if you think about where oil services and really a lot of oil stocks are relative to the price of crude, I realize it's not a linear relationship, but how about to, the, to where we were pre-COVID and a different oil price? And how about where we were in a world where oil demand wasn't anywhere near what it is with supply disruption? This, this to me is where the market has just been totally wrong and inefficient in terms of where they're pricing these stocks, even relative to where they were pre-COVID. Coming up, shares of AMC nearly doubling today, but you will not believe what we saw on the options on this name. We'll break down the action straight ahead, plus NVIDIA hitting a new all-time high today after a bullish call from Bank of America. So what is in store for the semi-stock? Don't go anywhere. Fast Money's back in two. Wouldn't it be great to have all your investment and retirement accounts in one place? Yahoo Finance, our sponsor today, makes it easy. I use it to put my investment account and 401k accounts into one hub and get expert tips that help me confidently manage my money. For more than 25 years, Yahoo Finance has been the brand behind every great investor. Whether you're a seasoned investor or are looking for that extra guidance, Yahoo Finance gives you all the tools and data you need in one place. They're the number one finance destination, producing a holistic look at the financial news cycle, including breaking news, original editorial perspectives, analyst ratings, independent research, customizable charts, and so much more. Securely link your brokerage accounts for a unified view of your wealth, including 401k and other investments. A comprehensive perspective is what sets apart great investors, and it's how Yahoo Finance ensures you have the insight to look at your wealth in its entirety. For comprehensive financial news and analysis, visit the brand behind every great investor, yahoofinance.com, the number one financial destination, yahoofinance.com. That's yahoofinance.com. Welcome back to Fast Money. Another monster day for AMC. The theater chain stock nearly doubling today. And our next guest saw some interesting moves and in how AMC's debt is trading. Let's bring in Chris White, CEO of BondClick. Chris, great to see you. Great to see you too, and it's great, great to be back. Um, is, is the bond market, is it jiving with what the stock market is telling us about the prospects for this company? Because if you just look at the stock, it looks like everything's coming up roses for AMC. Yeah, the perspective on whether to invest in bonds or whether to invest in stocks is, is going to be different, you know, depending on what market you're in. What we're seeing in the bond market is definitely today the activity in the equity market 
bled over into the bond market, the most actively traded bond for AMC um, traded uh, about three times the average daily volume that we saw the previous month. So there was a lot of price, uh, there was a lot of trading activity. Um, but I think that the the um, correlation between the movement in the stock and the movement of the bond that happened a lot earlier in the year. Would you say it was predictive? So I'm assuming that you're you're saying that the bonds traded up closer to par. Um, and that preceded this huge run in AMC shares. Did you think that was predictive? And do you think that bonds can be used to predict where the stock is going to go next? Well, it really depends on, on the details, what's in the covenants of the, of the different bonds. Um, earlier this year, you had a major event happen with AMC that was directly related between stocks and bonds and that the AMC rally that occurred in late January allowed AMC to convert a debt deal into equity. That was a deal they had done with Silver Lake. That took $600 million off of their balance sheet in terms of debt, and that made them a much healthier company. So that, that's where you saw really the rally in stocks and the rally in bonds occurring together. The most actively traded bond in the market for AMC right now is actually their five-year bond. And what we're seeing is the, the lift up in value um, that occurred in the beginning of the year. The bond went from $0.25 cents on the dollar to about $0.70 cents on the dollar when we get into February and March. So you saw a really big rally. And then what we've seen actually in the past month is we've seen the bond trade around $0.90 cents on the dollar to today. It was trading close to par. So it's really preceding the action that's been happening in the equity market if you're just going to compare you know, the, the – um, uh, magnitude of the moves in the equity market compared to the bond market. Hey, Chris, it's Tim. Thanks for joining us. Uh, this is fascinating stuff because, again, this isn't just about Reddit rebellion. You're talking about balance sheet repair, and there's a dynamic of fake it till you make it, whatever that means. Um, you can all interpret that. What what can you compare this to? What other scenarios? Can, are there any other you know companies where you feel like we've seen this, um, independent of what that company did, but where um, a broken company was able to uh, transform itself because they were able to either uh, again covenants would be converted to from debt to equity, or they were able to raise equity uh, to a point. I, I brought up Tesla yesterday, and I, and I think it's fair in that a, a company that clearly had issues on the balance sheet blew them away. Um, no such thing. No such talk with Tesla anymore. I think actually what you are, the example that you're looking for is all around you. We're seeing the high yield market rally massively uh, in 2021. And what that, that's allowed people to do, we can say fake it till you make it, uh, you know, certainly appropriate here. Because what, what it basically does is it allows a lot of companies that are struggling either because of COVID-19 or whatever is going on with their particular industry, it allows them to issue more debt at much cheaper levels. And so when we're looking at AMC right now, you're seeing the bonds hold steady at the 95 to 98 dollar price range. Um, you know, if I'm over at AMC, I'm thinking, hey, could we maybe issue some, issue some bonds here, which would then create a rally in the current bonds that are out in the market and could potentially lead to a further rally in the stock, depending on how people perceive the fundamentals going forward with more cash on their balance sheet. So let me get this straight, Chris. You just, you just basically said to Adam Aaron, the CEO of AMC, you should issue more debt. Well, look, I think that for, for everyone who's um, kind of in any company that's in this sort of cycle where their business has been badly damaged by COVID-19, I think that the Fed absolutely, this is by design, has been keeping interest rates low, has been directly buying corporate debt so that, um, you know, companies can issue more debt and hopefully borrow their way out of this, um, you know, the obstacle that they've been facing over the past 15 months. The, I think the issue at hand is how are these companies applying this newly found cash 
to their longer term prospects. And that's where bond investors um, are either going to, to look at the decisions being made as something where they'd like to hold the paper or you'll see them dumping it. It really depends on how the company uses that cash going forward. So it's like a credit card. You've got to be responsible with it if you're going right. to use it to, uh, appropriately. Chris, great to speak with you. Thanks for joining us. Thank you. Chris White of Bond Click. All right. So, uh, James McDonald, I'll, I'll put this to you. I've tried to put it to these traders here who've been with us uh, talking about AMC. AMC has dramatically changed its capital structure. It is a different company from what it was a few months ago. Does that make it more attractive in your view? Wow. It's a great question. It really depends on your investment risk tolerance. This is a stock that's going to get pushed around. It's going to get bullied around. The run-up has been extraordinary. What happened today is something that doesn't happen very often, and a name followed this widely. The balance sheet uh, is a story for management. It's a story for shareholders and bondholders long-term. But in terms of stock market investment, this is a really tricky area uh, because there's so much risk surrounding it and its volatility. And so I would say that AMC can be an example for other companies looking to clean up their balance sheet in this phase where the Fed is offering support. Um, and to get some public lift and to get some public attention around its equity, it's done very well for its shareholders. Um, you know, all you can say is, wow, it's an eye-popping day for it. And it's been an extraordinary story in 2021 and an extraordinary period of uh, investing here since the pandemic hit. Grasso, would you agree with Tim in terms of the Tesla analogy? I mean, what, what is similar also about these two examples is the, a pillar of the bear case for Tesla was the debt on the balance yeah, sheet. Yeah, balance sheet. Right. And then it, that went away largely. Yeah. And then it was able yeah, to but, figure but, out how to make Tesla cars. Tesla had a business strategy and something where they had future growth in mind. You have to believe in the movie theater business. Like, I, I, I agree. They should be raising money. They should be raising a ton of money. And then they should go out and start creating content. And then they should go out and start trying to become a Netflix. Because the movie theater business is not going to exist. Uh-huh. Unless you're IMAX. IMAX is an experience. People want an experience in a movie theater. They don't want to go to a movie theater anymore. But I will say... But what's the size of that market? You know, no, and, I know. And, and, I, I know. and you're right How to point out that... How many people want to go to a movie look, today? You can, buy up, you can buy up beaten up movie houses. You can make them right. um, experiences and make them different than they are, make them better than they are. But the, what's the size of that addressable market? Streaming is going home. I mean, this is what people are doing. And, and, um, but that's the point. Like Tesla, the analogy, Tesla had a future. So they could raise money. They only had a balance sheet issue. They needed to get to that, get a bridge. The, right. And, to and, and that's, that's the way AMC was. They had to get to the other side. We're on the other side. And they're sitting on a pile of cash. One really interesting thing he said is, oh. is, is he referred to the Fed, um, how they're kind of been in the game to, to allow this to happen with a lot of companies. Absolutely. How, how about the Fed allowing this to happen for the U.S. government? How about monetizing our deficit? Um, I mean, if you think about it, this is a microcosm for really what's going on right now with Fed policy. Um, let's get more on AMC and the action there, because something stunning happened in the options market. Mike Cohen, in fact, says it is one of the biggest days he has ever seen in a single option. So, Mike, why don't you run us through what you saw? Yeah, so AMC has uh, up until today already been a very active single stock option, trading over 900,000 contracts a day on average. Today, it surpassed that five-fold, trading more than 4.6 million contracts. Now, to put that in perspective, consider this. The entire U.S. options market traded 42.5 million contracts today. So that means that AMC options represented nearly 11% of all the options traded on a contract basis today. 
which I think is pretty remarkable. And also remarkable was the cost of these options. Just to put things in perspective, the July at the money 65 strike straddle cost about $65 at one point today. That meant that if you sold that straddle, wow. you would make money as long as the stock was below $130. But the most active single stock option in it today was the weekly 73 strike call. About 230000 of those traded. The average price was about $8.30. Those expire just two days away. That essentially means that there's $200 million in premium betting that the stock could rise another 30% by the end of the week. And as you point out, I mean, I, this is, you know, every time we see something like this, we say it's extraordinary, it's unparalleled. There have been other stocks that have seen exceptional options volumes, but this is certainly uh, a standout in the years that I've been in the business, and I've been watching it since the late 1990s. <laughs> so let's underscore this. 11% of the total options activity in the U.S. market was AMC today alone. Guy, you know what's interesting is Chris uh, White had said that, you know, if they issued more debt, the debt market, the bonds would probably rally, which would then probably spur another rally in the stocks. Yesterday, they issued shares to Mudrick. Um, AMC made money. Mudrick Capital made money. The options market's making money. I mean, everybody who touches this thing somehow makes money. It almost seems like alchemy going on here. <laughs> I say that rhetorically. Almost, because this right? is a fascinating, no, do. fascinating case. It's uh, so, you know, you go back the invisible hand, no Adam Smith, all that stuff. But just 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 to throw one more little nugget in here. And it is fascinating. In 2000, I think December of 2016 ish, uh, AMC made an all time high. I think it was thirty nine dollars or so. And it's probably the, the halcyon days of when people go into theaters since that day. All the stock did was basically go lower. If Dennis Gartman were here, we'd say it's going from the upper left to the lower lower right. So. The demise of this industry was long before anybody even heard the word COVID. What's changed in terms of the business model? Absolutely nothing. So, I mean, the stock is what it is. That's fantastic. And you know what? I hope people do make a lot of money on the back of this. My concern is, and Tim has spoken about this before, that at some point more people wind up losing than making. I don't know where we are in that cycle, but that inevitably will happen. And by the way, on the day of this monster crazy rally in shares of AMC and the activity in the AMC options market, Goldman Sachs downgrades, what, IMAX and Cinemark <laughs> to sells. All right. Um, Mike Coe, thank you out there for that options action. Be sure to tune into the full show. That's Friday, 5.30 p.m. Eastern time. Coming up, shares of NVIDIA ripping higher as analysts at Bank of America pump the price target on this name. We are digging into the call in just a few. But first, James is taking the mound to pitch his next best idea. He says this stock is a total home run investment. We'll bring in the name when Fast Money returns. Welcome back to Fast Money. We've got a fast pitch coming your way. Our own James McDonald is stepping up and throwing some heat on one beauty stock. So, James, what are you pitching? I'm pitching SKIN. Who doesn't want to be rich and pretty? The beauty health company gives us a potential way to do both. Ticker symbol SKIN is one of those unique companies that creates a new category. It's a fast, affordable, non-invasive skincare treatment. It appeals to a broad and growing demographic, men, women, young and old, all around the world. Millennials, Generation Z, this is the same group that flock to Peloton, flock to Lululemon. These folks not only want to be fit and hard-bodied, but they want to look good with glowing skin. This stock is a way to piggyback on the COVID trends we saw from those names. For 30 minutes, the machine painlessly 
cleanses your face by sucking out blackheads and other impurities from your pores, hydrating your skin. This is what people want. It's inexpensive. It's non-invasive. The global skincare market was hit by shutdowns. All these salons are coming back online. 2020 was a great year for the stay-at-home. Coming back to work, we're going to see people taking advantage of this. Company had 52% revenue compounded growth pre-COVID from 48 million to 167 million. They're going to grow significantly higher. Q1 margin increased to 66%. Q1 income was 2.4 million positive versus operating loss last year this time. EBITDA adjusted to 7 million compared to a $2 million loss last year. This equipment is offered in the Four Seasons, Mandarin, Oriental, all high-end spas, but it's only priced at $200 per facial, making it accessible to a wide range of consumers. Demand is coming back. 52% 52% annualized sales growth, 38% annualized EBITDA growth, and the CEO was head of surgical for Baal It's important to understand there is skin correction and skin treatment. This bridges the gap. Don't need plastic surgery. Don't need to wipe a bunch of lotions on. This is an inexpensive, effective treatment. Vanity is never going away. I think this stock is going to go higher. It's a really interesting pitch. It also had that ick factor when you said yeah, the suck out blackheads. Well, everybody here just twinge. Um, anybody who's got questions for James? I, I do. James, okay. James first of all, it, it, there's no question that there's a, a technology factor in addition to a tailwind from a segment in beauty and health that I, I think there's a lot going on. Um, I'm struggling with a company that's not making money here. Can you talk about uh, just the profile on the valuation? Right. And so the valuation is actually cheaper. And so if we look at a price to sales going forward, it's less than 10 bucks. Uh, if we look at other companies in this space, they hover between 12 and 15 price to sales. This company has got to recover. Obviously, all the salons shut down last year. Before COVID, this was on fire. I think it's going to continue to grow. 17,000 delivery systems in 87 countries. 70% of revenue is coming from America, but they're seeing extreme growth in Japan and China. And so I think that profitability that you're looking for is going to come online quickly. And this is a trending issue. Obviously, people want to look good, always looking for ways. We remember Suzanne Summers' squeezy, squidgy machine. It's always something. (laughs) I think this is a vanity play. And I think as it becomes more and more popular and people go back out there and want to look good, uh, this stock's going to pick up a lot of volume and a lot of attention. I think that was a thigh master. I'm not yeah. sure that's a comparison thigh you really want to make. Yeah. <laughs> All right, no more questions. It's time to vote. Are you buying James's pitch on the on Beauty Health, ticker SKIN? Guy Dami, what do you say? Mel, can you read my smart board for me? Is that okay, possible? Okay, let me see. Can you do that, Bets please? Bets on Brent. Bet on Brent. Now, you're saying, what the hell are you talking about? Well, Brent Saunders got his hand in this sucker, and i got to tell you something. His history, I mean, he is the Oric Goldfinger of this space. Allergan, Forest Labs, Bausch & Lomb. If he's involved, I want to be involved. Good job by James. Tim Seymour. I thought it was a great pitch. It's a fascinating sector. No one likes uh, to exfoliate more than I do, but I I hate this 40% move in the stock, and it it masks, if I may say, um, a valuation that's a little bit tough here, but a compelling pitch. Steve Grasso. So I, I had a, uh, a blackboard malfunction, but I'm going to say it's a. I'm <laughs> you're gonna writing say it's on a paper. You're literally writing on paper. This is what you did at home. Was that even a blackboard right there? Actually, the magic marker won't work. So I, I am. I, I do have a problem with the valuation. I don't think this is the time to be buying. Uh, these stocks that really make no money and have a high uh, multiple. But the problem is, when I look at the chart, it's done nothing but go straight up. So I'm willing to give it a benefit of the doubt. That was one heck of a pitch, all pimple popping and all. 
Right, so Ooh. people are taking off their masks. Oh. You got to look good underneath that mask one day. Yeah, it's been too long. All right, the traders have spoken, but are you at home buying James's fast pitch on Beauty Health? Vote in our Twitter poll at CNBC Fast Money. We'll share the results later in the show, but coming up first, a chip rip. The traders are playing into NVIDIA's big move in today's session. We got that when Fast Money returns. Welcome back to Fast Money. Check out NVIDIA jumping out to an all-time high today. The move coming after Bank of America reiterated its buy rating, boosted the price target on the chipmaker to 750 from 700 The firm highlights strong sales and data center growth in, in NVIDIA's latest earnings report. Guy, did you like this move? Yeah, I did. And listen, this is another one we've talked about for a while. And we talked about a pre-earnings, said how well it's set up. And, you know, that 750 price target... I think you see a lot of analysts start to raise their price targets. You had a lot of analysts raise their price targets on the back of earnings. There's still a lot of guys and gals behind the eight ball in terms of where those targets are. I think you're going to start seeing price targets go north of 800, and I think the stock can continue to rally. I made an all-time high today. I think it makes a beeline to 750 from here. Yeah. Tim? I, look, this is a, a, a high multiple stock that deserves it. And, and I think where they're located, and again, gaming was up 106%. We knew about their gaming business two years ago, um, and it's still growing at these levels. It's 49% of their total. Um, throwing, you know, just some bells and whistles like stock splits and stuff. I mean, I, I just, you know, that, that is um, not a reason to, to pick a stock. I'm just, you know, based upon what's going on with GameStop and AMC, I, I think it probably is in NVIDIA's case. This, is, this company is a dominant, dominant player, and they're now obviously integrating uh, through acquisition, and I think they can do more. James, um, what do you say to people concerned about the, uh, the valuation of this one? I point to the growth in revenue. I point to the growth in market share. And I point to the growth in trends uh, in those areas in crypto and gaming. And, you know, those are areas that are going to continue and expand. And, you know, Envi- NVIDIA's got an envious space uh, in competing in this space. And I think, you know, the price targets are continuing to get raised. And so, you know, as long as we stay in a bullish phase in the overall market, I think uh, the stock continues its trajectory. Steve, you shed a lot of tech. Is this, yeah, uh, this is a, one this, of them? It's a problem for me, but if, the, if rates don't balloon, then you're okay. I, I've been calling it you know, just a sweet spot, so they're not going too high. They're not, good, they're not uh, fading too low. So I think this is a sweet spot that could work. Bells and whistles of a stock split actually work with the retail population. So I'd still be a buyer of NVIDIA, although I don't like tech as a whole. All right. Coming up, there's a ton of names on deck to report earnings. But which name should you be honing in on? The traders will give their picks. And there's still time to cast your vote for James's Fast Pitch on Beauty Health. Vote in our Twitter poll at CNBC Fast Money. Fast Money is back in two. Coming up at the top of the hour on The Edge, the promise, the profits, and the problems of the great reopening of America. It's all on tap tonight, 6 p.m. Eastern time, right here on CNBC. Well, check out these five names on deck to report tomorrow. It is time for our Trader's Choice. So, Guy, which one are you watching? DocuSign. I mean, it made an all-time high, I think, at 290 It traded down to $200. Valuation is ridiculous. Um, I think it's probably trading 100 times next year's numbers. But you know, you have earnings growth, and this is probably one of those secular trends that's not going away anytime soon. I understand the concern about valuation. I'm fascinated to see how it reacts post-earnings. I actually think DocuSign is worth a look down here. Yeah. James? I like CrowdStrike. This is a company that's uh, been on fire throughout the pandemic and coming out of the pandemic with a good business plan, solid management team, uh, and growing market. Grasso? Lululemon. People are putting pants back on for being on Zoom calls, and now they're 
actually have to stand up and walk around an office. But there's so much competition now, declining trend lines. So interesting to see what they actually print. Steve, do you put your pants on one leg at a time? Uh, not today. I didn't put any on. People actually wear Lululemon to the office. I mean, even before yeah. the pandemic, people yeah, so were wearing Lululemon as slacks, as Guy would but call them. Kernan would come on this show and talk about his ABCs. Right. So, I mean, no, I, I, it, look, I, I was going to mention Lulu, too. And I, I think the, the, the consistency of the brand is more than just a COVID phenomenon. I, I think look, they're expected to do north of 68, 69 percent growth revenue. The, the valuation makes not a lot of sense. I think they're going to surprise to the upside. I think the stock's been trading sideways and has been looking for actually a reason to break a little higher. Mm-hmm. James, do you think that this is one that suffers from the pandemic being over? No, because if it's cult following, people really love the brand. People are going to extend the brand. And I think the brand is going to adapt to, you know, life as normal and continue to take advantage of that cult following. Yeah. And, and Guy, in terms of in terms of Lulu. I feel like, I'd feel never like buy Lulu's, right? Guy's not a you Lulu guy. You might be wearing guy. it right now. I yeah, don't know. yeah. Don't don't let it. He's 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 he he's fit. Comfort. He's fit. He's he trim. I mean, he's happy. Who doesn't like comfort, right, guy? <laughs> no, I don't. I, I mean, I'm not about comfort. <laughs> I do have the I do have the boxer briefs, but I'm curious as to why uh, Tim mentioned the always be closing format that Joe Kernan. You know what ABCs do you talk of, Tim, with these Lululemons? I'm just that's curious. what they're called. The pants it's a, it's those a, called pants yeah. are called ABCs. It's this particular kind of comfort guy. I think we can leave it there for men. Yeah. Anyway, um, uh, we'll watch all the those earnings reports tomorrow, right here on Fast. Up next, we will reveal the Twitter poll results for James's fast pitch on beauty health. You have got two minutes to vote still, so go vote on Twitter. Fast Money's back right after this. Welcome back to Fast Money. Time to find out if the audience is buying James's fast pitch on a beauty health ticker skin. And while it was a beautiful pitch, the Twitterverse was not buying it. 63% said no. Only 37% said yes, James. Well, everybody can't be beautiful. It's fine. (laughs) (laughs) All right. It was a good pitch anyway. Ticker skin. Time for the final trade. Now let's go around the horn. James, what do you say? I want to congratulate my baby girl graduating from high school today as president, class valedictorian, Harvard class of 2025. Daddy loves you. Congratulations. I'm still in for skin. (laughs) Go Crimson. Guy Downey, what do you say? I say go Crimson as well, Mel. I mean, I'm all about that. I also say the O and the Hope trade. Very quietly, all-time high today. Oracle. Hmm. Tim? Interesting on a day when we were talking about cyber attacks and whatnot, Palantir um, had one of its biggest days in a while. Also on a day when you started to see some of the, the, the aping going on in AMC land. And I think you've got a little bit of both going on for this name, which is actually above a key level. Palantir. Oh, interesting. Yeah. The meme stock phenomenon yep. helping Palantir. Uh, Steve Grasso. This was a stock. This was a SPAC stock. STEM. A STEM Inc. It was in a declining trend line. It's actually broken above that trend line now. And it's the only artificial intelligence battery storage play in the market right now. It's breaking out. It's in a sweet spot for a lot of things market-wide. All right. Thank you all out there for watching Fast Money. We'll see you back here tomorrow at 5. Tomorrow here at the NASDAQ Market Site. On the Edge starts right now. What's on the horizon for financial markets? At PGIM, it's a question that over 1,400 investment professionals relentlessly research in pursuit of your long-term goals. 
specialized across asset classes, but united in collaboration. Our teams provide global and local expertise. Our investments shape tomorrow, today. Pursue your tomorrow with PGIM, a leading global asset manager.